Hello, everybody, uh, and Kia ora. So today is our first webinar in a series of three sessions um, to present a modeling framework, supporting tool, and a compilation of case studies uh, to help road asset managers evaluate and select effective road preservation and renewal treatments. My name is Ekaterina. I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today uh, was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Rose Garpy. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, so our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report and the slides today's session is based on can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you can find on the right hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any stage during the webinar. Uh, if your question relates to any particular slide, please include the number um, of the slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Uh, you can also use that same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems. But a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session via your registration link usually helps. Uh, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Uh, and if you listen to podcasts, uh, you can find Ostrots in your podcast app. Um, so today's webinar uh, will be presented by Ching Don Lee uh, from Main Roads Western Australia and the team from the Australian Road Research Board, Dr. Tim Martin, uh, Ranita Sen and Tyrone Toole. So we will first hear from Jin Don Lee, who will introduce the team um, and provide an overview of the project. Then Dr. T. Martin uh, will take us through the challenges, uh, guiding principles, examples of practice, and definition of requirements. And then he will also present uh, concluding remarks. Ranita Sen will introduce the framework uh, and supporting tools, followed by Tarun Tool, who will focus on the case studies. Welcome to our presenters, and I will now hand over to Jin Don. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for attending today's webinar. Thank you, Katerina, for the instruction. Uh, in the next section, I will provide some background information of the project. The so first, the project team. Uh, I was the project manager for uh, this project from the Australian side. The research was done by the team from the Australian Road Research Board. Tyrone Two is the project lead, and the team also includes Dr. Tim Martin and Renita Sin. This was a very complex project involving lots of stakeholder consultation, data collection, and the modeling work. The team has done a wonderful job, especially consider this global pandemic. They quickly adapted to the new normal and to keep the communication line open. So I would like to take this opportunity to thank the ARP team for their passion on the work and for their professionalism. The report has been reviewed according to the standard Outroads 
procedure as shown on the flow chart on the left of the slide. So it involves first Australian uh, Australia's working group review, then task force review and the endorsement, and the board approval. The project working group came from most of the state road jurisdiction. The group provides technical input and assistance to the project, such as the project data. And the Australia's assets task force also provides strategic direction as a guidance to the project. I will not go through the individual names. On behalf of the Australia's, I have let thank all the members for your contribution to the project. However, there's one name I would like to mention, Tom McHugh. He initiated and managed the first half of the project before his retirement from Main Roads WA. Without his effort, we would not be able to have this webinar. So thank you very much, Tom. So why Australia want to fund this project? As the state asset managers, we are facing a few very common challenges or issues, you can see, such as due to the aging and expansion of the network, we have to do more with less or do much more with a little bit more. We are experiencing experiencing loss of the corporate knowledge as older generations are retiring. For example, in Mayo's WA, the incapability to retain staff with adequate skill and knowledge was rated as the highest risk to the organization. Although we have put a lot of efforts to get the new generation into the asset management field, but the lack of clarity in the understanding of the range of treatment options or strategies leads to sometimes the poor decision were made. On top of this issue is that our funding needs face more and more public scrutiny. How can we effectively sell the message and telling appealing asset management stories? That's the real some issue we are facing daily. After extensive discussion among the asset task force members, it was agreed that uh, it would be very useful to have a document that can provide guidance on how to develop optimal asset preparation and renewal strategy through a whole of life cost analysis, including both load agency cost and the user cost. The project will also provide a unique opportunity to capture the best practice. Therefore, the junior asset managers can use it as a practical guide. The project will conduct case studies using zero data from the Australia's members. These case studies will provide opinion asset management stories to assist senior executives, funding agencies, and the general publics in understanding the risk levels to the community under various funding scenarios. And that's how uh, we started working on this project. Now, I pass over to Dr. Tim Martin for the next section of the webinar. Thank you very much, everybody, and uh, welcome to the uh, webinar. I'm uh, involved, been involved with this from a more, um, yeah, so, oh, sorry. 
Right. The challenges of this project were um, quite large, and as Chindong has mentioned, but in terms of specifics, I think most people managing networks need to know several questions and uh, or answers to several questions. And the first one would be, when do you actually decide to intervene with a preservation treatment or some other major treatment? That's a, an issue that's very critical. It uh, involves lots of money and uh, other resources. And what value can you gain from using different types of surfacings or other treatments that you uh, have never tried before or you know about but have, yeah, don't know how they perform? And when is it appropriate to undertake more than just preservation work and, and do uh, other work which enhances or increases the capacity of your network? That's an important issue that requires an economic analysis. And when is it necessary to apply less than a full treatment or re a full rehabilitation treatment to address not so much structural issues, but uh, functional ones? These are all interesting questions that need to be addressed. Um, What do we need to control? This slide uh, represents the, the many uh, strategies, maintenance strategies and options which need to be considered through a life cycle costing analysis. You can control the rate of deterioration often by the type of surfacing you have and also the amount of surfacing um, may change the, quite substantially the, the conditions as you can see by the increase in improved condition there in the middle of that graph. And all this work can go on until we get to the remaining surface life where we've got to do some sort of serious in, in, intervention to uh, either replace or, or a major rehabilitation of the pavement. But it's really, these are the issues that we have to control to try and minimise our costs and to try and provide an adequate condition for the road. Um, the second guiding principles, uh, these can be policy driven. Um, and they're mainly focused these days, as according to the Road um, Australia's uh, Guide to Asset Management, <clears throat> are very clearly customer focused. They're focused on trying to meet customer needs <clears throat> and try and produce adequate results that meet those needs. Uh, we've obviously got to be able to manage the current assets and provide for future assets uh, in the sense of growth of the uh, network or improvement in the performance of the network. We've also got to obviously provide a defined level of service uh, through all, to all customers in, using the uh, network. <clears throat> and we've also got to be able to develop cost-effective work programs for the long term, not just the short term. So we manage our resources and produce the lowest possible whole of life cycle cost. And we've also got to manage risks associated with local or large asset failures. So they're, they're big challenges for the road agencies in this project has done some way to address that. It's a balance. This is about um, trying to minimise the total life cycle cost, which is on the left-hand side of your screen, which include the agency's cost and road user costs. There are other costs involved, but we're just looking at these two for the moment. Uh, other costs could include things like accident costs, delay costs associated with maintenance works, but we're trying to get to that sweet spot or that Goldilocks zone there, which is a minimum transport, total transport cost, which is the sum of all these other costs. And as obviously um, you want to reduce your road user costs, you've got to spend more money, but obviously you don't want to be spending more money than, than is required. And some of the ways of managing these, uh, these costs is to manage the levels of service that are provided. Um, and in this case, there's minimum standards and um, 
you they're often adopted as the base case for looking at other options. But as you can see, <clears throat> the flatter that uh, relationship between usage and, and levels of service, the more equitable it is, but uh, you often don't have the resources to be able to provide that. Um, we'll be providing um, uh, examples of practice uh, through work that's done by Main Roads Western Australian Transport for New South Wales. We will, we've looked at their target service levels, their intervention parameters and preservation and renewal practices used. So we were trying to inform ourselves of current practice uh, in two fairly major road agencies here. This is an example of Main Road's uh, practice for selecting uh, maintenance treatments. It's, as you can see, it's quite um, uh, rigorous and uh, it's um, comprehensive and has a suite of criteria for determining various treatment responses, considering surface condition, roughness, deflection, uh, maintenance uh, costs and so forth. The result is obviously a range of treatment options that can be provided from microsurfacing, to more conventional type servicing, pavement reshaping, uh, strengthening and, and major rehabilitation are available here. And also the costs of these treatments obviously vary quite significantly from minor, minor costs with minimum intervention to the large costs involved with major structural rehabilitation. So obviously you have to do what's, what's required and what suits the particular situation. This is an example of um, Transport for New South Wales Rehabilitation Triggers and Preventative, preventative in, in, Intervention Levels. And as you'll notice, uh, these can vary depending on the class of road. Obviously, as we looked at the previous slide, um, the more heavier traffic roads have higher levels of service, uh, and the not so heavier traffic ones have much lower relative level of service. And as you can see, there's various intervention levels, roughness, flooding, and structural life. Um, that are practiced in uh, for by transport for New South Wales in that state. Uh, the requirements to do the analysis and to, to undergo this sort of rigorous approach, you do need well proven um, uh, models of road deterioration, works effects, and so forth to be able to accurately predict performance over a long period of time. Um, we uh, and this is this is really the whole of life cycle costing analysis, which is a, a, essentially an economic evaluation through discounted cash flows over over an analysis period that can be up between thirty and, and fifty years to cover all the options over a long period of time and have adequate be adequately prepared for the un, uh, unexpected down the track or hopefully expected if you're predicting it well. Uh, these models and so forth were based on long-term studies, dedicated decades of Austro's research, and these, some of this research is currently being updated as we speak uh, to represent the best possible outcomes and uh, most accurate forecasting that's possible at the moment. Um, the, um, there's a whole of life cycle costing analysis where there's a big discussion later on about a particular tool called the pavement life cycle costing model, which is essentially a life cycle costing model uh, for a particular analysis period, which is, allows you to look at various strategic uh, approaches to maintenance and other treatments. There is a practical limit to um, the scenarios and the complexity of this analysis. Obviously, there are many options and to some extent, uh, 
minimize the amount of uh, computing time, some of this uh, has to be reduced. There is a matrix of possible treatments of, of, of options and applications, and there's also a range of levels of service that need to be considered. Uh, all this is a, a very much a moving feast. Um, I think that's where I stop. Um, and uh, I believe uh, Katarina takes over about these questions and so forth you want to ask before I move on to uh, our next presenter dealing with the framework procedures and supporting tools which discuss more about the payment lifecycle costing tool and that's done by Renita Sim. Thanks Renita. Thanks very much team and uh, good afternoon everyone. I would like to take you through the development of the tools related framework and the procedures as a part of this project. A pavement lifecycle costing demonstration tool, also known as PLCCDT, was developed um, during this project with an aim to put into practice all the principles that has been articulated by team earlier. Section three of the report outlines the adopted frameworks and also supporting tools and the models. It also evaluates uh, the framework scope and also the case studies and the level of services definitions. PLCC is an Excel-based tool with the capabilities to track the performance of the pavement over a 50-year period while applying user-defined treatments and interventions. During the analysis, the physical condition of the pavement is deteriorated using built-in deterioration models and treatments are applied based on defined level of service. The emphasis here was on the whole of life cycle cost, not just the short term cost, on, and also on the uses of the evidence-based performance models, responses to the treatments and its impact on the road users. Target LOSs are also considered, but at the same time, other examples like an higher or lower LOS definitions are tested in few examples to see the choices available and then to decide on the fit for purpose option. On the right is our adapted approach for the development of the PLCC tool. I will elaborate this further in my future slides. So using PLCC tool, different treatment options for a defined project level was investigated with an aim to minimize the total transport cost. It can also examine network level case studies where varying conditions dictate the need for varying maintenance strategies and also treatments are guided based on the condition that we are facing here. The examples from the practice illustrated a range of treatments, whereas we may also consider to holding treatments like meal and replace and also other options like recycling. It all depends on what we are treating, whether it's a surface condition or a deep, deeper pavement treatments. So pavement response is also very critical in the rules that we apply in deciding options. Knowing what happens after a distress is initiated is key. With an example here shown, when cracking, if left untreated, deteriorates rapidly, which in turn impacts the deterioration of the rutting. Also shown here is an example of the effect of climate in terms of thorn weight moisture index also known as tmi and it shows that the weighted the climate are the increased amount of moisture that means the increased amount of moisture and it also impacts how quickly the condition deterioration progresses 
So PLCC tool accounts for all of these accelerated deterioration. So what we try to do in our modeling to model all these effects and interactions. This is what happens in real life and we wanted to capture that here as well. So turning to the PLCC uh, tool, this is the main menu and the control panel. And all the analysis are run from here. As you can see, there are three different types of analysis, the base scenario, alternative life analysis, and also economic analysis. And outputs in terms of the detailed results and also summary results and the works program, all can be accessed from here. On the right are the outlines of different contents of the PLCC tool, which is a main menu, then a user setting, an advanced setting, inputs and the outputs. I'll go through this in detail in the following slides. This is the main output and main input and the contents as shown here and the access that an analyst has while performing the analysis. So PLCC comes with some features that can be defined by the user while others are fixed. So user-defined features are the input sheet, which is essentially all the data required to run the analysis, includes the condition data, road referencing, and all other ancillary information. It also includes the climate information in, in terms of um, temperature, rainfall, et cetera. And also the road classification, which tells us about the road hierarchy, and it also decides how the treatment interventions will be designed and also setting up the analysis year and also counting for the, the PC, CPI and discount rates, et cetera. So as a part of this PLCC development, we have uh, coded Osroad's road deterioration models there. The models are fixed, but the modeling calibration factors are configurable. Also the work effects are also fixed. We have implemented three generic treatments, resurfacing, rehabilitation, and reconstruction. Where the treatment names are fixed, the treatment triggers, unit rates, also the resets are configurable. There are also controls for including holding treatments like shape correction, mill and replace. As a part of the modeling suit, road user cost model is also coded in the PLCC tool. The road user cost model has two parts in it. One is the VOC, vehicle operating cost, and another one is an additional travel time cost to account for rough roads. Again, there are options in PLCC to turn on and off the use of road user cost and also travel time cost. So in the analysis execution part, there are outputs, of course, after each run. The outputs are not, outputs refreshes after every run, but the outputs are not configurable, but you can obviously copy it and take it somewhere else and do further analysis based on the outputs. And then the detailed results, then summary results and also the works program there. And also economic indicators are produced as a part of this analysis in terms of net present value of total transport cost and also marginal benefit cost ratio. So the PLCC process involves defining the treatments first, which is a base scenario and also a positive or possible alternative scenario, then assessing each option by running the analysis, then quantifying each option in terms of road user cost, road agency cost, total transport cost, and then identifying the fit for purpose option. So detailed result also tracks nine parameters over a 50 year period. Those nine parameters are traffic, 
in terms of AADD and also ESA, strength and pavement performance, roughness, rotting and cracking, and also RAC and RUC. The summary results and work programs are also produced. Economic indicators, as I told earlier, is generated in terms of net present value of total transport cost and also uh, calculation of marginal benefit cost ratio by comparing the base and alternative strategies. The PLCC tool is available as a template and also as a case study for downloading in conjunction with the report. It can be downloaded from the OSROADS website. As a part of the webinar too, we'd like to take you through a guided tour of the tool itself. But, but we, if you have any inquiries regarding the use of the tool, we encourage communication using the email addresses provided here. Finally, to the structure of the tool is shown here with full description of each options available to you as an analyst um, to access. The aim is to guide users to evidence-based models and then letting them use their own data input, treatments, triggers, and, and also um, the resets, and then getting the use, useful outputs from there. The outputs are currently comes as a tabular form, but that those can be further manipulated as a charts, graphs, et cetera, externally from this tool. For your information, we have applied the tool to the full set of case studies described in the report. Only the case study, uh, which is case study F, takes into account safety uh, benefit calculation, and that was done outside this tool. It is our priority. Uh, um, as a future development to include the safety benefits there as well. So that's all from me for now. I, I would like to hand over to Tyrone, who would take you through the scope and findings of the case studies. Thank you everyone for, for being available uh, to join this webinar and thank you all to, also to my colleagues Shin Dong, Tim and Renita. So the purpose uh, of my session here is to introduce the scope and the design of the case studies, uh, starting with the initial case studies that we undertook under this project uh, using the long-term pavement performance and pavement performance and maintenance sites as examples. They provided good evidence-based examples of multiple treatments being applied in different environments, uh, and then it enabled us to design uh, case studies that could pull out the different effects of maintaining at say a minimum level, uh, maintaining with different uh, treatment alternatives uh, over a wide range of environments. And in these cases, they range from Western highway areas near the South Australian border in Victoria and case study Bay A rather. Uh, to examples in some of the wettest areas in the country, up at Innisvale in northern Queensland, on the Flinders Highway, and then also on the Western Ring Road in, in Victoria, very heavily trafficked. So it gave us a good range of cases to start building this. Minimal maintenance was examples that we, we tested in wet and dry example, uh, environments using sprayed seals. 
looking at re resealing, shape correction and rehabilitation treatments as well. And again, whilst we uh, looked at a range that was specific to those sites, those could also be adapted for, say, some more innovative treatments that are be becoming more common nowadays. Surface replacement on heavy duty pavements, such as on the Western Ring Road, where perhaps if the pavement is designed uh, to carry very, very high traffic, uh, traffic over a long time, uh, the real need is, is uh, replacing the surfacing periodically in a preventative manner. So what we were aiming to do was examine that uh, wide uh, range of strategies. As we then extended in the cooperation with the agencies, uh, colleagues Chin Dong and uh, Liam and team, Zahid and others, uh, across the, the country, we pulled in other examples and they would pick examples that really was also challenging them. So if I take the first one there, uh, asset preservation and renewal uh, of the Albany Highway uh, in Western Australia, the challenge was what to do with the pavement and what would have been a better approach uh, with foresight, etc modelling uh, and experience in that environment. So again, we looked at minimal maintenance where uh, the, there was evidence that the, uh, the pavement had been managed well beyond its target surfacing life and other things were happening. The, the maintenance costs uh, grew to really substantial amounts and the three or four or five years beyond the target surfacing life. So it was a good example of what would happen if you didn't catch it in time. Then the range of strategies that were applied, reseal, shape correction, was it an upper pavement problem that only needed reprofiling, reworking of the base and surfacing, or did it need something more substantial? And what we've seen from our colleagues in Western Australia and in other uh, agencies is under the right circumstances, they may only be needing to work with the profile of the road and do repairs at the top, rather than very expensive, costly interventions and strengthening. They might be fortunate in parts of Western Australia where the structure is sound. So again, that being one example, case study F, which is, really drawn on local government experience and the oversight that the RMS Hunter region provides is uh, was related to the uh, road renewal program, reconstruction or rehabilitation, but then to build in crash benefits. And that was a question that's always been asked. We've seen this in other cases. I can think of our studies in Tasmania, et cetera, where often safety benefits weren't being captured in the justification of a treatment, but they were moving to a, a fairly substantial rehabilitation and changing cross-sections, etc. They could have made the, the case for the road stronger if they'd quantified the safety benefits at the same time. So again, we can build that in and in appendix, uh, I think it's Appendix E, we've, we've described that approach within the 
uh, within the supporting report. A case study G really draws on the work under WAM 6144 uh, on marginal and substandard materials, where we gain substantial experience in that area. And again, getting that balance between the uh, quality of the materials, the cost of hauling materials over some distance, etc., and what's a balance you need to take into account, as well as the moisture impacts. And as you know, in Western Queensland, even though it might be nominally in a semi-arid area for much of the time, the cyclonic uh, climatic patterns and things like that can have a massive impact uh, in those conditions. So you're not just dealing with uh, low uh, soil and pavement moisture conditions. In case study H, we went to a network level set of cases where we uh, in southwest New South Wales, we had a whole suite of different road classes, different intervention levels, as Tim mentioned earlier, levels of service. We, we had good information again, like throughout this work on deflection information collected over many years, etc. And we could analyze the cases there and assess the, uh, let's call it the economic intervention levels uh, for these types of pavements. We would also consider when we were doing this, the level of treatment that we were doing, because often the case would be, is the uh, level of service too expensive to justify? Or indeed, perhaps if the pavement's sufficiently strong, let's say it's uh, rough but strong, then perhaps it needs reprofiling, as I mentioned earlier. And that could be a fraction of a, of a pool treatment cost. So these are the aspects that we wish to take into account. So what I'll do now is give you a summary of some of the case study results and the consolidated findings. We're going to elaborate a lot more on these and, uh, and give you a complete a guided tour uh, through them in the next webinar. So I'll just summarise some of the main points uh, by the different cases and then by the, uh, a, a, in summary, taking the preservation strategy in the, the Western Victoria case, the desirable interventions really pointed towards timely reseals with a modified seal cost in this case, where crumb rubber seals has been standard practice in Victoria for many, many years. What happened here was something I discovered in my first ever economic analysis. Uh, if you get it right, you can save the agency uh, resources. You can get net road saving, road agency cost savings, and it really reinforces the stitch in time analogy as well as total transport cost savings. And that's clearly a win-win. In other cases in the preservation strategy in that extremely wet environment uh, in Northern Queensland, a similar uh, result occurred in this case with unmodified seals. The other advantage on that, that section uh, in that area, and it's one to be uh, conscious of, is the high uh, cross-section 
controlling drainage as well, but clearly there was a cost to provide that cross-section in the first place. The rate of deterioration of the pavement as a whole almost uh, was relatively slow from a roughness point of view. Uh, with this environment, uh, the cross-sectional environment helping to control that. In case study C, again in Queensland, whilst there were uh, some additional agency costs anticipated in the modelling, we still minimised TTC and we could still uh, justify what was typical interventions, typical levels of service type interventions on the network. For the Victorian uh, very high traffic ring road example, the key was to pick up early on either surface cracking or uh, uh, pavement rutting well before anything like roughness interventions that we wouldn't be pursuing in, in a sense uh, for such high traffic. So the, but the key was do the surface replacement early or at a, a good, in a good timely way and your costs will be minimised. Looking at the other cases, assets preservation in the regional highway, the real massive issue here was, again, and, and this had been quantified, the avoidance of high upkeep costs. If I quoted them on a two-lane highway, we were talking about uh, over a four to five year period, the upkeep costs per kilometre had escalated on this particular section to nearly a quarter of a million. You might be saying, well, couldn't you have done a major treatment by then? Well, you may have done an appropriate treatment and kept some money in your pocket. So being able to get timely interventions is absolutely key. What we also found, and this was being reconfirmed with the work we've been doing with practitioners, if it really amounts to a moderate rip and reprofile, rework the base, bit of top up and a reseal, then perhaps that's 50% of a standard cost. So savings could be had and the desirable LOS uh, could still be supported. So again, a good, a good finding. In the local government case on interventions with pavement work and then adding to it crash reduction measures, we know out in the uh, agencies, uh, we are supporting safe system type treatments. They might be primary treatments to minimize the outcomes uh, of crashes, or they might be uh, secondary treatments like uh, edge lines and uh, better edge lines, tactile edge lines, maybe lines, uh, signs, uh, sealed shoulders, etc., to help reduce the likelihood. What we were showing from that is that the NPV could have be almost tripled, the net gain uh, in economic terms by selecting the right strategy. And the marginal benefit cost ratio, I usually term the bang for the buck, was about doubled. So, these really support uh, good comprehensive strategies, which we are seeing uh, being widely uh, applied across the country. And, and in real terms, they should be. They, they do provide value to the community. 
in case study J, uh, there's full details of that in the selection of uh, reports produced under WM6143. But the clear optimum solution was to minimise moisture risk, marginal but not substandard materials uh, are still a good option. Uh, and they could operate reasonably under uh, fairly varying uh, moisture conditions. And the big, the big uh, impact in terms of you choose one option or the other uh, is really the availability of materials and hold distance. So having all that material information to hand and also knowing how the materials will behave under moisture loads as well as traffic is very important. The final uh, example that we've got uh, was the investigation of service levels in uh, on on roads in, in south uh, southwest uh, New South Wales, and we had a big range. The, the key in that was really getting this balance between the level of treatment cost and traffic level, etc. Where it was relatively low to moderate traffic, you really, in order to support current uh, service levels, you really needed to be chasing treatments about 50% or so of the, of the standard rehab costs. Now, if you've got the performance evidence to back you up, if you've got capacity in the pavement, and it really is a, a reworking of the surface, etc., then that's perfectly feasible. Now, clearly in other cases where the road's gone way beyond that, then, 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 then you may need to do a full treatment. But the whole push that we've been encouraging is uh, avoidance, uh, early avoidance, timely uh, work is absolutely essential. At the higher traffic levels, they pay for themselves, but we shouldn't necessarily wish to spend more money, but if we do, it's, it still brings a, an economic benefit. Now in the final uh, slide, really to make a few uh, summary comments, if I go on forward here, sorry. The consolidated findings is this whole balance with intervention levels and minimizing TTC. The challenge that we need to put to ourselves is getting that balance of treatment cost. The fit for purpose, we obviously don't want to be hit by uh, excessive deterioration, rapid deterioration, etc. But with our increased uh, availability of good quality data, we can pick and identify the treatments that are more likely to work. And that's a big advantage of almost network-wide coverage that we're seeing more and more using the traffic speed deflectometer, as an example. Lower cost pre preservation treatments, as you, as I mentioned, highly beneficial. And But the key also is remember that some vital data will include routine maintenance and holding costs. <clears throat> Often we say it's hard. Sometimes I say we collect easy stuff from vehicles, but always understand your 
the costs that you're spending at the moment, the costs that you could avoid if we've got the opportunity to plan well. The win-win aspect of uh, this analysis, as I mentioned, it reinforced the work I did in my uh, young days uh, in this area. If you pick it right, you, the analogy with the stitching time saved nine does pay off. Uh, and then your dollars can go further. Crash cost savings, as we said, that should become more routine in our, in our calculations. We bring into account the cooperating costs and travel time. You could say, let's bring into account this. And there's a fairly simple methodology, building on your rod model road states and some modification of those with other treatment factors explained in the report. And I'd uh, encourage its application. And then as we're looking at uh, asphalt pavements, the, the big challenges, and especially when you're at the lower end of the traffic level and you may have a legacy network with asphalt on it, that could be a challenge. So the issue is you will be challenged on intervention levels, but perhaps you know, uh, consider other uh, surfacing types as a next uh, surfacing on that asphalt uh, pavement. For long life pavements, really keep them going, but intervene early so that you're really maximizing the value of the initial investment. Thank you and over to Tim again. Thank you, Tyrone. Um, right, I've got to make some concluding remarks here. Um, these uh, are a result of this work and um, they are things to keep in mind. Um, first of all, which we started as one of the issues we had to address was the value of timely intervention, which in most cases, in virtually all cases, does minimise total life cycle costs. Um, that's the critical message to come out of this. Otherwise, you end up wearing much greater costs from a life cycle, a total life cycle, total cost point of view. Also, in order to do this, you need to have levels of service that are uh, fit for purpose, managed, managed with uh, uh, obviously improved levels of service, with higher levels of traffic, which is a good economic outcome, and obviously slightly lower, somewhat lower levels of service for lower levels of traffic. But you must be able to match that uh, levels of service to get the benefits. Also, you've got, as, I'm, as we say, uh, there's just different levels of service based on road use. Now, you need to understand also the, um, the nature of why you need the treatment. Why is it needed? What, does it, what, is it, what are you trying to address with the treatment? There are issues here of just dealing with functional performance or just superficial type issues. And then there's the other one with the more deep structural problem, which, which needs a lot more expenditure. And that you've got to define what the differences are and then treat the, uh, the issue appropriately. The other issue, of course, in doing all this analysis is to be able to treat, account for all the costs involved with all the work. We've done a relatively simple approach here of just looking at agency costs and road user costs. But as I've noted earlier, there are other costs that can be considered, such as accident costs by uh, providing a safer roads. So it's reduction in accident costs and also for using appropriate treatments, which may reduce the delay costs of uh, completing those treatments. Um, 
as I mentioned, there's additional benefits from dealing with the safety issues at the same time as dealing with the um, normal asset preservation appropriate levels of service, which will give you these additional benefits. So in all in all, that's where we are at the moment. We've got two more uh, webinars to come and I'll open it up now to uh, Ekaterina to manage the um, uh, question time. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for such an interesting presentation. And we um, have a number of questions from our participants. Um, I will start with the comment um, in relation to slide 14. It's sort of um, one extra challenge that you can um, add to the list. Um, it's the importance of considering the impact of um, a selected treatment on choices for future treatments. So people who are working on the asset in, in the future, they, they are aware of the reasons um, for adopting a specific treatment. So does the framework um, reflect that in any way? Perhaps I'll uh, answer that. I'm presuming uh, in certain cases you're saying that you would uh, have a, a different uh, treatment somewhere down the line, uh, whether that might be a change in your uh, surfacing strategy, etc. At the moment, we have a set of different treatments set up, so you, you may have up to something like uh, pulling on something like three generic, uh, generic treatments over over time, uh, resurfacing, including mills and replace or reshaping, etc., uh, partial and full rehabilitation. I'd be saying if you can see or foresee other more uh, special uh, treatments beyond that, put them in the comments to the organisers here and, and, and we'll give you a written answer, would be the best. Thank you. Um, thank you. So does the model um, account for current structural capacity? Um, I can probably answer that if, if you, um, at the moment the model does allow, for, it does have an underlying structural deterioration model in it, which then uh, is used to often initiate a prediction of requirement to address reduced structural capacity. Uh, these models were developed some time ago um, and what goes into the normal models for roughness and rutting is the original strength value but uh, we may be able to improve that with some more sophistication but at the moment yes it does account for structural condition um, but the thing that changes that structural condition is major things like rehabilitation whilst uh, surface treatments do not largely affect that at all or at least that's, that's the assumption that's been made in the modeling. Thank you. Um, so a question about the tool. Um, does it require um, substantial experience and knowledge to use or can it be used by less experienced practitioners? Ranita, will you try or shall I kick off? And okay, uh, yeah, I, I can try. The tool actually comes with a like, comprehensive sort of step-by-step um, -step guidelines how to deal with it. And we currently kept it at an analyst level where the modeling 
side is fixed and cannot be changed but some user defined parameters like the inputs and also like different intervention parameters that are user configurable so i guess uh, like this treatment intervention uh, setting up those appropriate level of service that's probably need some sort of exposure on that area but um, um to begin with the tool has like guidelines how, how you select or um, edit few uh, like each parts that are actually allowed uh, to be edited by the user type can you probably add more i'd probably say and this is one of the challenges that uh, chin dong and i was talking with with our colleague tom is a lot of what we do as engineers and practitioners there's a lot of detail behind it so don't be surprised uh, and you saw the examples from renita earlier about the sensitivity of pavement performance climate as well as structure uh, and other things timeliness so there is a requirement to get into that detail uh, what we will be doing through the course of these webinars and offering beyond that is is to provide people advice but because it's quite open and the way we've set it up run one case study at a time build it up test it we're trying to get people coming from that point of view but there are many moving parts you know there's the vehicle data etc etc and we've left examples of the national fleet in there but don't think it's just a matter of clicking a few and going it really does require uh, a bit of work and study but you know we've we're well educated we've been studying this stuff doing it for a while and effort's going to have to be made Chindong? <laughs> yeah i agree um the modeling is not a silver bullet you get it you solve the problem you have to understand is that a model setting up is up to date is it uh, fit to your uh, circumstance is that reflect your maintenance philosophy i guess that's a very important uh, part we need to solve pull on your experienced friends because they've all got something to add and that's what we're trying to capture Thank you, Tarun. Um, so I will take us to the slide here. And the question is, is the impact of cracking on pavement life specific to thin surface granular pavements? It's unlikely to be true for thick asphalt or concrete pavements. Uh, I can have a first crack at that. Look, um, the uh, current models, um, the roughest model certainly has a impact on uh, the effect of cracking on its uh, rate of deterioration, roughness deterioration. The rutting model doesn't. Um, you know, these are just based on uh, what data we've had collected when we built these models some over 10 years ago, based on 14 years of observational data. We're about to update these models now based on hopefully 24 years of data, which should hopefully produce a a bit more explanatory power but yes i guess what you're saying is that uh, obviously uh, cracking does have an impact on rutting uh, roughness performance and probably rutting does too uh, roughness uh, sorry uh, cracking would have an effect on rutting uh, our model on rutting doesn't directly deal with cracking but it does so it does it, current model does say that if there's no expenditure which means no cracking 
it will it will predict a much greater rate of rutting. Um, that, that's all fixed inside the model. We will update these uh, sometime next year, so that I'm basically hoping we can get a, an input that says which is the type of treatment or see on the surface thing which will explain help explain the rates of deterioration that will that, that'll, that will it will impact on. But as for asphalt, obviously uh, cracks in asphalt. Well, they have to be dealt with anyway. They could be fatigue cracking or they could be surface cracking. Um, I don't want to keep raving on about this because we don't really have a specific um, asphalt model in the Austrad suite of models at the moment. Thank you, Tim. Um, so I will take us to slide 34. Um, in these examples, did you look at the impact of resealing overseals in which the binder is not aged? Uh, because this can lead to flushing of the new seal? No, it, it's tied on here. Uh, no, what we were, I mean, again, I'd be saying you, we're working with evidence from good practice within Vic Roads over the years. Uh, I would have said that they were uh, designing the treatments uh, appropriately. So as far as I understand, uh, the, the treatment design, the second seals, et cetera, were functioning well, were designed and functioning well. Thank you. Um, so is the model applicable to urban environments where asphalt renewal is undertaking? Uh, look, I can, we, <laughs> the models can be calibrated to suit uh, urban observe rates of deterioration the models weren't specifically designed for thick asphalt pavements per se so I, I can just say that at the moment that's how we're dealing with it but uh, urban, urban asphalt pavement performance is not so much driven by roughness but more like rutting and other issues so I, I at this stage we uh, we've got some improvements to make there I'd, I'd probably add to it that what we've not got in there is a plastic flow component that can worsen when you've got an inadequately designed mix under uh, long loading times in urban environments and breaking in that. We're really talking about the performance of uh, design treatments. Thanks, Sarun. Um, well, we ran out of time. It's um, 2 p.m. Uh, we do have uh, a few questions left, so we will uh, put them in a document and we'll respond to them in writing. So everybody will receive a copy um, of the response after uh, the session. So we will um, wrap up here. Uh, before um, everyone can go, I will just uh, have a few um, words about our next um, webinars. Um, so sessions two um, and three for this project uh, will be held on the 9th and the 18th of June. In the second webinar, we will focus on the tool and the case studies in more detail. Uh, and the third session will explain the um, economic and customer-centered basis for justifying appropriate investment in um, road asset preservation and renewal. So for more information, just uh, visit our website. Um, and as usual, um, once we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire uh, that will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. It really helps us um, to know what you liked, what didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for future webinars. 
once again, the session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording um, when it's published on our website. Uh, thanks again to our presenters. Thanks um, everybody for uh, being with us today and um, stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.